what does it take to market like the best? In this week's episode, we dive in with Kyle Wilson, former partner of Jim Rohn and founder of Jim Rohn International. He is a phenomenal marketer, an amazing mentor, and he shares some incredible advice from the time he spent working with Jim and some other extremely successful people like Darren Hardy and so many more. This is a must-listen to episode. Let's get right into it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am extremely excited. I have Kyle Wilson in the studio today. How are you doing, Kyle? Steven, I'm doing great. Well, I am excited and you guys should be as well. And if you don't know, Kyle is one of the founders of Jim Rohn International and KyleWilson.com. And he's worked with some of the top names in personal development industry, including Ogmandino, Brian Tracy, Les Brown, Darren Hardy, and so, so, so many others. And he spent his early days filling huge seminar rooms, launched and published multiple personal development publications with over a million subscribers, and has produced and published over 100 plus hours of training programs. Right now, his big focus, he does high-end coaching and consulting with the Kyle Wilson Inner Circle Mastermind, helped over 200 people become number one best-selling published authors. And he also just recently launched a phenomenal podcast, which I am an active listener of called Success Habits of Super Achievers. And we are going to get into some gold here today. So I hope you guys are ready. Pull out those pens and papers and get ready to take some notes. And uh, you ready to jump into it, Kyle? Let's do it. Well, with a track record like that, obviously, you've already done some amazing things in your life. But why don't we start out by taking a look back? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Good question, Stephen. You know, I grew up in a small town, never went to college. Actually, being candid, you know, I did drugs when I was young. I really did not have too many entrepreneurial influences. I had salespeople that were influences, but I definitely had this industrious type mindset. I had a garden and I'm growing stuff and I'm selling it to the neighbors. And I think when it was time to go to college, I mean, the town I grew up in was 11,000 people it never occurred to me to go to college. So I didn't even apply. And, you know, age 19, I had a big life event help me change. And I, you know, made some changes, started a little business, a uh, detail shop business against small town, trying to find any angle I could and ended up then having a service station. And we were 24 seven and had 10 employees by the time I'm 22. And I think by age 26, I said, listen, I want to move to the big city, Dallas, and start all over again, find out what's out there for me. I'd never heard of any of the personal development guys, you know, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, all that was totally foreign to me. And I got to Dallas at age 26, starting another little small business. And I went to a seminar and the guy at the seminar was hiring people to come work for him to go give speeches at companies. And then at the end of the speech would sell tickets to a seminar. And that frankly scared me to death. The thought of having to get up and give a presentation, I can only but imagine. I went, you know, I don't know if you've ever felt like you were in a bubble. And it's like, you just got to do something that makes no sense. And it 
defies yeah. all logic. And so I went to work for the guy, Jerry Haynes. And, you know, out of the 30 people, I was the least qualified, but within six months, I was his top guy. And little did I know that would lead me to meeting Jim Rohn and doing events all over the country. It's these little decisions in our life that end up making a huge impact. And at the time, we don't even necessarily know that they are those big decisions. What do you think it was that allowed you to kind of move up from not having really any experience or qualification for the role to being able to be one of the top guys in that period of time? Yeah, I don't know, Stephen. It's really strange because for me, I just have to say I was in a bubble. Everything clicked. There was a lot of serendipity involved. It wasn't a straight line. It wasn't, okay, I'm going to sell my business in, in Vernon, Texas, sell my house, move to Dallas. There were like 20 things that happened along the way. And on my podcast, when I interview people, we go down that same road of serendipity. And it is usually that like one in 10,000 type of happening that happened that sets someone on their path. And mine was similar to have gone from my place to eventually, you know, being the founder of Jim Rohn International and then working with not just Jim, but so many amazing people. And they're all great friends today. is a little bit mind blowing to me. There were some commonalities along the way. I think some are, you know, as an incredible hard worker. I had a philosophy to be honest, do what's right. I understood bringing value to the marketplace and there were just these little combination of things, but then there's so many other parts I can't take any credit for. You know, I was just incredibly fortunate. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it is just being in the right place at the right time. And I think that's a huge piece of it. And so we all have to just be ready for those kind of things to come into our lives. And when they do, that's our opportunity to step up the way that you did to kind of like take on a challenge. Cause you could have easily said, Hey, I've got a business. I'm in this place. I'm not going to like rock the boat, but you decided to, which I think is amazing. And I can't wait to talk about some of the experience working with Jim and all the other incredible, inspiring people that you worked with over the years. That's an absolute dream. But before we do, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your current focus is right now? What is it that you're working on and, and how do you help people today? Well, you know, Stephen, I sold all my companies. I built a million plus list. I was the agent for Jim, Dennis Waitley, so many others, published millions of books and built a huge team. And for a variety of, of reasons, mainly personal, I sold all my companies in 2007 and I retired for really about eight years. And when I sold the company, it was a five-year non-compete. And I knew everything that it had taken to build that I sold it with the pure intention of never doing it again. Like I was out. And so what I do now, you just have to factor that into it. Like when I sold everything and I came back out, now everything is by choice. It's stuff I believe in, what I really want to do. But having said that, when I came back out in 2014, I had no list. I had no intellectual property. All that went with the sell of the company. And I was compensated really well. But I understood how hard it is to start at zero. That's why I have such empathy for millennials and anyone starting a new business. I got to tell you, in 2007, I was pretty arrogant. I mean, I, I was at the top of the, the mountain and I looked down and I could judge people pretty quickly. Starting back over at 2014 really gave me that empathy of here, even with all my credentials and my Rolodex, it was going to take time to build this up. And I can't say that what I'm doing now is where I started. 
I've tried some things and that's, I'm a big believer in test small, just try things. And one thing I did was I did a little small mastermind at my house and I invited some pretty cool people to it and that went really well. So then I did a second one and I started charging, but I would still have a couple of cool guests. You know, I had Phil Collin, a Def Leppard lead guitar player, because I'd just done a, a three-day shoot at his house and had filmed with him. Had Mark Victor Hansen, you know, the number one selling author in the world, Chicken Soup for the Soul, who I had done Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur Soul with. I would have these pretty cool guests show up, but I also knew I didn't want to be in the transactional business of just having whoever wanted to pay could come. I wanted a little bit of a filtering system to create a community, if you will. So that's a big part of what I do now. My inner circle is a community of people. I think the biggest shock from people is I don't charge outrageous amounts of money. And the reason is I don't want to be the guy that they're looking to, to solve all of their problems. I've created more just this community of people that come from all walks of life. You know, we got Grammy winners, Emmy winners, athletes, real estate syndicators, entrepreneurs, speakers, authors, but it's not like, Hey, you come, Kyle's going to pontificate and teach you how to go build fortunes. It's not that at all. It's a community. And so it's got some unique aspects to it. And then the other thing I did, and again, it was never planned. It was, how I look at it, Stephen, it's like pulling playbooks out of my pocket. There's a lot of things I've done, but that doesn't mean I want to do it again. And one of my books, the first book was called Passionistas. And it was one of my inner circle members in LA, Erica Dela Cruz. She was an actress. And I, again, 25, I saw the hustle. It's a whole long story, but somewhere in there, I'm like, you know, I'm watching the hustle. I'm watching the belief. I'm not a believer in hunting. I'm a believer in fishing. How can you get people to come to you? So I told her one day, I said, listen, I have an idea for you. If we did a book, because you got me believing now about millennials and how they leverage social media and how they, you know, they realize Instagram, that's your business card. You get to write your own tabloid every day. Also, you don't get caught up in things that you're not passionate about. I mean, I just saw this whole list of things I really, I became an advocate for so I said, let's do a book. Let's get you, let's get 40 of your friends, you know, from the fashion world, from the entertainment world, and we'll do this book called Passionistas. And it'll be a tool to get people to come to you instead of you having to go out there. And it was a, you know, I didn't make any money. It was a project of love. And then I got to watch how it played out. And then I did two more of those books, similar type of concepts with people in my inner circle. Then the fourth book, I'm like, you know, I see so many people in my world who are trying to write a book. They're spending fifteen, twenty thousand. They're buying into someone actually wants to publish their book, which is not true. You know, no one wants to publish your book, right? That world is dead, right? There is no middleman out there making money on books. You know, it's just kind of like with Amazon, right? Book publishers are out of business. So every time you have a book publisher saying, hey, we want to publish your book, you know, you're usually going to spend 20000 They're going to resell you the book for 10 15 bucks, and you're not going to get to own the real estate. So unless you're a big celebrity, having a publisher's not really... Again, I got frustrated at watching people spend fortunes, but yet I wasn't doing anything about it. And so I had to step in. I said, listen, okay, if you really want to tell your story, hit number one, 
have a true editor, have a true publisher, learn how to market because you can have a book, but if you don't know how to market it and leverage it to build a list audience, like I've done in the past, it doesn't do you any good. So I found a way to do that where it leveraged my time. I could do everything by group. I could bring in celebrity authority. So big names that would be in the book. And so that's something that's really taken off. And I never would have seen that. You know, I would have never strategically even wanted to do it. But now I cannot not do it because I know the value it brings and I'm really good at it. And I can bring in the, like a Darren Hardy and people like that into my current book. And so again, you asked me what I'm doing today. Those are the two main things is my inner circle and book projects. That's amazing. And I have to say, you touched on something a little bit earlier that I want to point out. And you talked about kind of coming back into the marketplace after being out of it for a while. You know, you were a big top dog. You were, you know, running Jim Rohn International and doing some incredible things, but then stepping back into the space without a list and coming in and being humble and having empathy for where everyone is when they're first starting out. I think that's such an important thing to remember because a lot of folks, right? You know, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, we want to jump in and we want to start seeing success happen now. But we have to have that patience. And clearly that patience is paid off because in, you know, just a few short years of you working on this, you've been able to build an incredible group of folks that get together, you know, every few months all around the country. And you're putting together amazing books that are really making a big difference for folks. So what I want to kind of dive into here is tell me what it was like working with Jim Rohn and what were some of the things that you learned along the way while growing a business from essentially from the very beginning all the way to what it became? So Stephen, that's the hardest thing for me to articulate to people is it's going to take time. So many people are out selling the dream. You know, they're selling, quit your job, go work from home. You're going to make all this money. And I'm here to tell you 99.9% chance that's not true. It's going to take time. And here's the thing, you know, there's cold traffic. Cold traffic is the hardest traffic. That's the people that right now are screaming for refunds. They're leaving you, they're quitting you. And then there's warm traffic. And then there's the best traffic, which is referrals. And that takes time to build that type of relationship. And you were, we were talking offline before the call, just about how are things? I'm like, not a lot, you know, like no one's asking for refunds. I have five events scheduled right now and I'm having to reschedule. I've not had to give one refund because I have such a tight knit group of people. You don't go get that off Facebook ads. You know, it's going to take time to build that kind of community, right? And if it took me that long, and I don't mean this to say arrogantly, but I did build a million plus list really before anyone back in the early 2000s. I know how to market. You know, I know how to publish. I know how to do events. I had the biggest guys and it took me time. And so I would see the BS in my opinion out in the marketplace and the best people that I work with, Stephen, are people that have already failed. The worst people I work with are those who just bought a course who think they're smarter than I am, right? And they're like, oh, no, 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 Kyle, you don't understand. I just bought Gary Vee's course and I'm going to go out and in two months, I'm going to, you know, have 20,000 people and they're, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with all the extra money, right? No kidding, right? And I'm like, well, go. I hate to see you. Now, listen, there's exceptions, but the exceptions have a clue right? There's something 
they either have all the right pieces in place, right? But if someone's starting at zero, it's going to take time. There's just no getting around that. You know, it's such a good point. And I want to say, like, you probably don't even know this or maybe even remember, or maybe you do, but before I launched the investor mindset, I had a very small list of people from one podcast interview that I went on with bigger pockets. And I'm only sharing this with you guys so you can start thinking about how to think like a marketer because that is what Kyle is and that's what I stepped into when when I was deciding to launch this. I had 400 people on a list and I hadn't ever messaged them because I had them sign up and nothing happened from there. And I had a buyer's list of probably about 4,500 people across two states. But before I launched, I actually held off on moving forward on launching the podcast when I was all ready to do it. I already had everything there because Kyle said, hey, Steven, before you do that, why don't you try to warm up that list? Why don't you try to send them some value? Try to get in front of folks and remind them, hey, this is what you're doing and this is why you're doing it. And I did that and we had one of the best launches. We spent over eight weeks on the front page of iTunes and we are still considered a top 200 podcast. I think today, as of right now, we're number 80 on business and it's up and down. Every single day is different depending on listens. But I share that with you because Kyle, just in one short conversation, was able to make a huge difference in my launch. And so I'm hoping that you guys really perk up and listen and think, how can I apply this within my business? Whether you're a marketer, whether you're a real estate investor, whether you're an entrepreneur or somebody in between, whatever we talk about here is going to make a difference in your business only if you apply it. Well said. And hey, congratulations. You've done a great job, Stephen. And you know, I always say marketing number one is just connecting the dots. And you do a great job of connecting the dots between who your avatar is for your audience, what you share with them. I'm sure you're constantly pivoting based on the feedback you get, right? And that's back to connecting the dots. That's why you can't plan too far out. You can plan far out, but you have to constantly pivot. You know, if I'm doing an event that's eight weeks out, yes, have a plan, but I'm pivoting based on every single step along the way. If I'm launching a new online program, I'm pivoting every step of the way. Well, same thing with the podcast, right? We can have our assumptions, but the genius and the innovations usually found from just, again, some serendipitous things that will happen. Yeah. And I want the listeners to really start thinking like a marketer here. So if we're going to think like a marketer and we're going to step into those shoes, a lot of folks are thinking, well, how is it, does this apply to me? You know, I'm running a business. I might be buying houses from sellers or raising capital, but isn't marketing a piece of pretty much everything that every person does every day? And what's your thought on that, Kyle? Yeah, no, of course. And I love those type of businesses, right? That's mostly the people that are in my world I feel that's who I am too. You know, I'm an entrepreneur at my core. And so again, I have the luxury, if you will, to know doctors who are just doctors that do zero marketing and doctors who are marketers and, you know, real estate investors, flippers. I mean, you go right down the list. There's not an occupation out there where I don't see both sides. I see the person who thinks they're a professional and marketing doesn't apply. And I see the person that is killing it in a phenomenal way and actually has more time freedom because, and that would take a whole intricate conversation, but I have an example of someone, I won't say their name, but they have built a huge empire in the multifamily world. And the first conversation I ever had with them, they were spending 30 hours a week talking to investors. And I'm like, well, from a marketer standpoint, 
and I've done this with other people, there is a way to get people to pay you to actually have you train them that actually turns into a filtering system to find out if they're actually going to be a great investor. Now they have a seven figure educational business and all their investors come out of that. So they don't do any one-on-one investor calls, right? If someone says, Hey, Bob, John, whatever their name is, I'm interested in in talking to you about investments that say, you know, we have meetups, we have these calls, I have a podcast, you can come to an event. And through that filter, they might then end up in their inner circle or mastermind. And from there, that's the only people they actually even work with. Again, they spend so much less time now. My point is a lot of people think, oh, I don't have time to go build the marketing side If you do it right, it's actually the opposite of that. You create systems that allow you to filter the best people through ways of getting people to raise their hand to attend your events, listen to your podcast. Like I would never talk to anyone cold that I haven't at least had them go listen to a podcast, attend an event. You know, I give them some kind of homework before I would even jump on a call to see if they're having to fill out an application Now, you can't do that in the beginning, but my point is you can create the right systems, no matter what business you're in, that will actually save you time and help you find, again, it's back to the fishing. Instead of hunting every day, marketing helps create a fishing opportunity. So it's really kind of like, if you want to think about marketing like this, it's like with the marketing and the copy and the kind of the phrasing that we put out there we qualify people or we disqualify people. We either turn them on to us or we turn them off. And by doing that, we essentially filter out the folks who aren't probably a good fit. And therefore, we get to spend much more time with the people we actually want to serve. And therefore, we can make much more money, run much more successful businesses and live the life that we're actually looking for. Right. It's, and it's all based on scalability, right? If you only have five people to talk to, you're probably going to have to talk to all five. But if you have a thousand people to talk to, you can create filters that will help you out of the thousand find the best 20 to qualify. I love that. And because I've been following your stuff for a while and I've done my research, I know about this concept that you call the wheel. I've seen how this can apply within my world. And I'd love it if you can explain it to the listeners as if they've never heard of this before and how it might be able to apply regardless of what their business is, you know, to what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. So 1993, I'd been a seminar promoter filling up huge rooms and I would hire Jim Rohn, hire Brian Tracy, hire Ogmandino. In 1993, I learned that Jim Rohn, him and his partner had split up. There's a lot of debt. They weren't making money. And I said, Hey, Jim, I think you're the best speaker in the world. I'm a pretty good promoter. I would love to have an exclusive to run your company. And so I launched Jim Rohn International. It was actually my company because Jim had had a couple of business failures that cost him fortunes. And I said, listen, I know you don't want to have another partner. I'll just pay you off the top of every speaking engagement. And then I'll go create a bunch of product. At the time, he had 20 speaking dates he was doing a year at $4,000 per speaking engagement. Pretty modest, right? He had no list. That first year, Steve and I took him to 110 dates at 10,000 a speech and eventually $25,000 a speech. And I took him from like three products to we started creating 
multiple products. And it was all based on this concept called the wheel. And the wheel is you draw a circle, right? Like a wheel, a spoke, and then it has a hub. And I wrote Jim Rohn's name, did all this on a little sheet of paper, right? And then each spoke was the current product and services. So the key is how do you get people on the wheel and then take them around? So if they find Jim in a book, how did I get them to a one-day seminar? How did I get them from a one-day seminar to a two-day seminar, et cetera? And with that model, it had me ask the two biggest questions. Doesn't matter what business you're in, here's your two biggest questions. Number one is how do I get more people on the wheel? And what spoke do I need that's going to knock down all the other dominoes in my business? You know, Gary Keller in the book, The One Thing, talks about what one thing will knock down every, all the other dominoes. Well, in 1993, that's the same question I asked. What one thing would knock down all the other dominoes? And it had me come up with this idea. It was almost like a God download of a little quote book because there's four things I asked the question before I go create what that spoke is. Number one is, what's my secret sauce? What makes me special? And that's why you have to be careful about just following what other people do. You have to take what other people do and get the lesson, get the concept, but you can't just follow blindly because you're different. You know, find out what your secret sauce is, what makes you special, what makes you unique. Number two, that spoke has to be strategic. For every one thing I do, there's 20 things I don't do or 100 things I don't do. I think you heard the Darren Hardy podcast we did together. You know, Darren's biggest victory, he says, is his you know, saying no. He says no to pretty much everything. In fact, he's not done any podcast in three years because he said every time you have a choice, that's your biggest enemy is making the wrong choice, right? So that spoke you do has to be strategic, right? And it has to be part of your core business. I see a lot of people trying to do three different things that don't have anything else to do with the other. And, you know, number four, I want it to be something that's going to expand my list. So I said your spokes are your products and services, but I would also say it's a customer acquisition tool. So this became, I know it seems simple, but they didn't exist at the time. I had a little, I put a little to and from, and then I put Jim's top 110 quotes. Well, at the time there was no Google list and Jim didn't have a list of quotes. I just realized that's what made him so special though. He was this wordsmith, and I wanted a way to point out to the world how profound Jim was, and then I knew his fans loved him, so I wanted to create a tool for him. Well, this little booklet went on to sell 6 million copies, and in every booklet, I had our product catalog. I had a list of how to go buy additional quote books. It was a nice little booklet. People said, oh, you could charge 4 or $5, but my goal was to build an audience to get people on the wheel. So I sold them for a dollar each if you bought 10 and then 60 cents each if you bought a, a hundred. And like I said, I was selling tens of thousands and my mailbox started filling up. Our phone started ringing off the hook. I did them for Brian Tracy. I did them for Mark Victor Hansen. I did them for Zig Ziglar, but that was just one idea. I could tell you 10 ideas because for me, it was more about viral marketing and how do I get people on the wheel and then take them around. And that all had to fit and be congruent with what Jim's message was, what our customers were. It was all kind of a bit of a God download in 1993, the wheel. And what makes the wheel unique 
people think it's a funnel. It's not a funnel. A funnel has agendas. I have five membership sites, understand funnels. I have funnels. The will is building the audience and talking to it and letting people occasionally raise their hand and say yes. So for example, there's some core things I do, but they're kind of expensive. So occasionally I will do an event, you know, that's 300 bucks. So someone doesn't have to join my inner circle or be part of a big book project. They can attend an event. And I say, hey, if you're interested, all of a sudden, here are these people that wouldn't normally be candidates for the other that will say yes to the event. And then they show up and you spend a couple of days with them, right? So finding ways to get people to say yes. You can build a list, but if you don't occasionally give you know, reasons for people to say yes, you'll never know. And then when they say yes, that's when you can start creating this offense, if you will, around that group of people that you give a little bit more love to, a little bit more value, you know, a little bit more attention to. And as you do that, that then creates the next level of engagement potentially for you to offer that person. Man, there's so many big ideas within this. And I hope that you guys can see how you can apply this within your own business. And I'll just kind of riff on it for a second. If you if you happen to be raising capital, you got to be thinking, well, what is it that the folks who have capital what is it that they need? What's something of value that I could give them? What's something of value that I could provide? And how could I get them to engage with that in some kind of way, shape, or form? And then what ways along the way could I engage with them that get them to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm very interested in this? Because it really comes down to, like you said, Kyle, providing value first. And that value is what ends up getting them to get to know, like, and trust you. And then once they know, like, and trust you, it becomes a no-brainer for them to say, yes, whatever it is that you're selling, I'm interested in it because I know the quality that it's going to be because it's coming from you. Love it. And I always say, you know, number one, you have to build a list. Number two, then you got to talk to the list. And building the list is a combination of social media, potentially like YouTube, but at the end of the day, podcast, obviously, but at the end of the day, the only list you own is your email list. So one of the goals of your Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn TikTok, whatever it is, is to get people on an email list. And you can't do that. You can't push it down their throat, but you have to be clever. Same thing with the podcast. I could tell you of a huge podcast out there that for years, they didn't even try and get people onto an email list. And I'm like, listen, guys, you don't own the podcast, right? You don't own the subscribers. iTunes owns them, right? So you have to get people on an email list and then occasionally give them things to say yes to. And I think one of the things people want, you know, once you get clear on that, then it's bringing value. And that's where a lot of people start tripping. Again, they think they have to be, you know, the expert on whatever their topic is instead of saying, listen, Hey, I just read a phenomenal chapter in rich dad, poor dad, and share some excerpts from it. I just was at an event and here are the top three ideas I got. Now, again, don't waste people's time. That's, the, you know, you can't be self-indulgent. So you have to pick this balance between being relevant, but also bringing value. And at the end of the day, it's like you said earlier, Stephen, it's attracting the people that want to hear from you and being okay with the people that don't. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone likes John Mayer, right? Not everyone likes the Foo Fighters. I can't imagine why, but that's just the case, right? And so... It's okay. The more authentic you can be, the more you're going to attract the people 
that are the right people for you. So they want to hear what you got out of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Or they want to hear those amazing notes you just took when you went to see Tony Robbins or whatever it is. But don't overindulge. Don't act like you can send a daily one just because Darren Hardy does. It has to be good. It has to be relevant. And you just got to find that balance. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think sometimes people can feel like, well, this all sounds good in theory, but how do I actually go about implementing? And what would be your advice, kind of the quick start guide to setting something up like this for people to start getting into marketing and thinking about themselves as a marketer in their own business and lives? Yeah, so number one, social media. I had a guy that's part of my group. He's a big investor. He's like, Kyle, I want to build a a list. I want to do what you do. And he knew examples of people in my world that have had a lot of success. I'm like, well, first of all, start on social media. He goes, oh, no, I hate social media. And I'm like, okay, well, you're not getting it. You're not getting that there's people that you are one, two degrees away from, even people that you know in your life that don't even know you're around, right? So you have to be part of social media. You don't have to if you're already successful. But if you're new and young, yes, you have to right? If you're massively successful, and I I run into those people too, they're doing amazingly well, they don't want to be on Facebook, hey, that's fine. Only do what you want to do. But if you're starting at zero, or if you're young into this, the quickest, fastest, best way to build a list is through social media, you know, to have influence. And there's lots of reasons why, including advertising, targeted advertising. If you want to reach people that have read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or reach people, you know, that watch Darren Daily, you can specifically do that, right? There's all kinds of cool ways to reach the people you want. Number two, I'm not a fan of delegating that out. If you're not on social media, don't think, oh, I'll just pay someone to get me on social media. Big mistake. We don't have time to go into it, but you're going to have to learn it yourself. And don't think just doing a ton of posts or what we're talking about. We're talking about authentically connecting with people, right? And then that forces you to say, okay, like on LinkedIn, I'm not a big LinkedIn guy, but I'll post on LinkedIn. People send me a private message. People send me a private message on Instagram. They want to ask me questions. I'm like, hey, listen, I've got tons of blog posts. You can go here. I've got amazing podcasts. You can go here. I have a free 52 lessons. It's 52 individual lessons. You can go check those out. Just give me your email and I'll add you to all of it. So they got to give me their email, right? Or they can say, no, thank you, but let me keep wasting your time with more questions, right? So that's, it's my way of saying, I can send you info, give me your email, and then I'll put them on the list. When I met you, Stephen, a year ago, I got your email address, right? You got on my list. So everyone, if they attend events, if they have a sphere of influence, Whatever they're doing, just get people's email addresses and start talking to the list. So it's a combination of social media. It's a combination of having a list and then start bringing value to the list. Yeah, the biggest thing here, guys, I think is don't overcomplicate it, right? Start simple, figure out what your message is, figure out who the audience of people that you want to communicate with and what value that you can bring to them. And just you know, bullet point that out. You can do this in five to 15 minutes, right? I mean, you really do want to get super clear on those questions that 
Kyle asked us earlier, but that's an exercise you can do in 15, 20 minutes, and then you can build upon after you've already taken action. So I love that. Well, I want to circle back to a personal question that I'm really curious sure. about, which is what was it like working for and with Jim Rohn? I mean, you were, you were able to work with one of the biggest personal development legends of his time. You know, obviously it's, it was super sad to see him pass, but you know, during the time that you were working with him, I'm sure there was some lessons and I'd love to hear a couple of those. Sure. Yeah. No, Jim changed my life. There's so many things, but there are three or four things that come to mind, Stephen, you know, at the top, first of all, Jim said, you know, the major key to your better future is you, right? It's not the government. It's not the president. It's not the economy. It's not your relatives. Now, again, with all the things going on in the marketplace, we think it's those things. But listen, five years from now, 10 years from now, there will be people that are massively successful and there will be people that aren't. And it's all going to get down to the things you can control. It has nothing to do with who's president. You know, your thoughts, you get to 100% control. The books you read, what you choose to watch and give your time to, mindless TV or listening and watching podcasts, you know, your morning rituals, everything that truly matters most, we get to control. And I never had that type of distinction brought to me because I very much at the time was into politics and I was into world events and things that would really get me upset. And Jim's like, why are you getting upset about that? That's on the outside. You have no, Kyle, your influence is like 0. .000010. Now, I'm not saying don't be politically active if you're passionate about something. I'm not asking you to do that or not do that. But make sure your major focus is put on you. So that was huge. The next thing was he taught me that success is predictable. and a lot of times, Stephen, when I see people in the marketplace manipulating or trying to scam a little bit or they're coming at it really aggressively, a lot of times it's because they don't have faith and confidence that if they do the right thing, it's all going to you know, work out. Jim taught me to have faith in if you do the right things, good things will happen, that it's predictable. It's, it's like planting a garden. You know, if I want to have tomatoes, I got to plant the right seed at the right time, at the right place, water it, take care of it. And the odds are in due time, I'm going to have a crop. If I want to have a vineyard, now it's going to take time, but if I do it the right way, good things will happen. And in business, understanding, okay, if I do the process, you know, the process, the process for me at the time was make a hundred phone calls a day. The process was come up with a great talk. The process was learn to sell. The process was learn to get referrals. You know, the process was when I did an event to get phenomenal value. And all those type of, you know, send thank you notes, the whole thing. And when I did the process right, eventually I became world class as a promoter and was making fortunes. All that changed really was I bought into a plan and I executed the plan. And a lot of people go for shortcuts because they don't truly believe if you do the right things, good things will happen. And that's faith, right? The third thing, this was huge. And I could list a bunch of these, right? But the third thing that really comes to mind is Jim had this quote. He said, if you want to be successful, learn to bring value to the marketplace. If you want to be wealthy, learn to be valuable to valuable people. 
Now, you got to investigate what this word valuable means. To me, valuable didn't mean become a great networker. Valuable didn't mean just trying to be super nice to everyone. Valuable meant is how do I actually become valuable? And for me, that meant, okay, if I can fill up a room, I now can bring on amazing speakers. You know, if I can create a platform with your podcast, you're becoming very valuable to two groups of people, to your audience and to the people that come on. Now, listen, eventually you'll reap the benefit of that. But initially, it's a huge investment of time, energy, money. People have no idea what's involved, especially to do it right. Steven, you're doing it right. A lot of people half-ass it, and that's why they're not going to make it. So it takes a huge amount of philosophy to really believe in, if I bring value to the marketplace, good things will happen. And that will allow me to become valuable to valuable people. That was huge. And so people always say, Kyle, how did you, you know, you were just in California interviewing Dennis Waitley, Brian Tracy, John Asareth, Darren Hardy, you know, when they don't, Darren hadn't done an interview in three years. Yes, we're friends, but at the end of the day, it's because of this value proposition that was created 20 years ago of trying to bring value to people. And I never approach anyone without a value proposition, right? How's this going to be valuable to them first? And there's oftentimes I'll have an idea and there's people I won't approach because that hasn't solved the equation for them yet. Like there's people on my list but I don't have the right equation to feel like I'm bringing the value yet. So I just hold off until I feel like I can check that box. What a beautiful philosophy. I mean, there's so many good nuggets in there. I hope you guys, I hope you guys rewind that and listen to it again. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show. Just a couple questions left. Sure. I want to remind everyone that if you guys are just joining us for the first time to make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the bell. If you're on YouTube, definitely, definitely keep supporting us and go check out more of what we've been able to put together here. So, you know, tell me, Kyle, how would you define success and what is success to you? That's a good question. You know, Jim Rohn said success is whatever it is to you. I, I, I don't have a strong definition on what success means to most people. I'm still learning. People think differently. At one time, Stephen, I thought everyone was supposed to see the world the way I do. But when you have a spouse and when you have kids, you see different opinions, right? Different philosophies. So for me personally, success typically is doing what I want to do, becoming the person I want to become, which then opens the door to attracting the right opportunities. And I, I have had that benefit of retiring. So I've been on both sides of this. Retiring's, I'll never do that again, I don't think. Like that didn't check that box for me. Now, I was available to do some pretty cool things with my family. And that, because of that, I'm glad I did for that period of time. But I've had that conversation with multiple people. You know, John Asaraf and I on the podcast, when John, he's had a li liquidity event three times. And I actually talked to him for an hour back in 2010 saying, John, you know, I just sold my companies. I picked his brain. And, you know, John's at it now as hard as he's ever been at it because he's passionate about what he's doing. So part of it's just finding that passion, what makes you happy. I do think relationships trump everything else. But again, if you believe in bringing value, you're going to 
financially be rewarded. And I do think the more financially prosperous I am, the more I can help people. Jim Rohn talked about five reasons to be successful. I'll fast forward. You know, one was material things, you know, food, houses, cars. Two is family, right? Education, travel. Three is community. Four is philanthropic. Five is what you become, which is huge, right? But six is something I added, and it's to have a seat at the table. And that was important to me, too. I wanted the opportunity. You know, when I was retired, I really didn't have that seat at the table anymore because I couldn't bring value. Yes, I had friendships, but I wasn't able to bring value to a Darren Hardy or a Brian Tracy or a Dennis Whaley. We stayed friends. We would still get together. But that drives me a little bit too. So you got to find out what's important to you that drives your own success. Mm, I can really appreciate that. So what are some of the keystone habits, the things you do on a daily or weekly basis that have led to some of your success? I think in the past, you know, I was definitely activity driven. I uh, had a propensity just to take action, get things done, see the big picture, For sure. You know, I think that's part of a promoter. They have to be able to see the big picture, but they also have to, you know, devil's in the details and I'll get in the details, you know, I'll get in the trenches, but you know, everyone has their different ways. Currently, as far as success habits go, because I felt like I ran so many, not marathons, but more like 440s. You know, when you're doing events, it's like a 440, a 440. So now it's real important to me just to have like a morning of two to three hours every morning where, you know, I can journal, I can just be prayerful, I can meditate, I can breathe. I don't put any pressure on me for three or four hours. And I'm not the kind of guy that can say, for 30 minutes, I'm going to read. For 10 minutes, I'm going to journal. I just need that space to do whatever that looks like. I'm kind of, you know, freedom and I'm not a left brain thinker. So I just need that, that space. So that's huge to me. I think the spiritual side and the relational side are are the two highest things for me. And here's the other thing. If people have given me money, you know, if, if from a business standpoint, I feel like that's my highest priority. So how I spend my days and weeks gets down to those that have committed to me, right? So whether that's coaching, whether that's my inner circle, whether that's books, that's another driver for me. Those are some big things for sure. And I love the idea of taking space because sometimes life can feel so regimented. It's good to to have a little time to do what's most important to you. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell us what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now. Uh, Think and Grow Rich. Just a good classic. Everyone must read that book for sure. For sure. So from an inspiration perspective, what impact have mentors made in your life and how do you recommend others go about looking for mentors? Yeah, mentors have been important. I think as an entrepreneur, I've leveraged mentors just to run my ideas by. I found I need to talk through things with people. And one of my favorite Jim Rohn quotes is, be a student, not a follower. Make sure everything you do is the product of your your own conclusion. So I like to take in a lot of data from other people, but then make my own decision, my own conclusion. So if you have mentors, don't feel like you have to do what they say. 
that's one of the silliest things I've ever heard when people say, I gave you advice and you didn't follow it. Listen, I don't want people following my advice. I want them to take my advice and weigh it carefully and then decide, you know, what's valuable and fits for them and what doesn't. So for a mentor, it's just trusted voices that I want their insight and I feel safe to share my challenges. And anymore these days, most of my mentors, I'm also a mentor to them too. They're reciprocal friendships. I love that. I think that's an important way to look at it that, you know, it's not blind following. You're really looking for kind of a board of advisors, but you at the end of the day have to be a leader and make your own decisions. Exactly. So finally finishing on purpose, what drives you to live your best life every day, Kyle? Being a leader, you know, knowing my kids are watching, knowing I have people in my world that are watching, knowing people that have committed to me. I want to feel as congruent about what I'm doing on the outside as what I'm doing on the inside. So that's a great driving force. And there's other things too, but I think on a very simple level, those are good reasons to get out of bed and say, okay, let me do my best today. What a powerful interview, you guys. Kyle, thank you so much for being here. This was absolutely amazing. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Sure, kylewilson.com. And I have the free 52 lessons I learned from Jim Rohn and other legends. It's a weekly email, amazing lessons. You know, we talked about the will. I have a whole podcast dedicated to the will. Just tons of great information. I'm not selling anything. That's called Seven Strategies to Build Your Business and Brand. So kylewilson.com forward slash podcast if they want to go find that. And so that's the best way, Stephen. Awesome. Well, we will link to all of that in the show notes. And and again, thank you so much. That was super, super powerful wisdom. And I'll leave you guys as I always do. Remember to go live a life worth inspiring others. And you can do so today by applying some of what you learned right now. See you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 